Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. go here we are at episode number 32 of the principles of performance podcast this is going to be an awesome one uh my name is eric tagatti your host along with my co-host mr michael perry mike you ready for today i am i've never been more ready for anything in my entire life so let's get ready to do this we've got two uh amazing gentlemen on the uh, podcast today and uh i'm looking forward to learning yeah, you and I both be, be ready to, to learn and, and, and be inspired. So here's who we have today. We have Steve Carnes and Crispin Barker. Uh, they work together on something called the Movement Project and where they volunteer the time to provide weekly movement training sessions for people around the world to help them with regain their movement skills after brain injuries. And we'll talk a little bit about how I've had the good fortune of getting involved in some of those sessions recently. Uh, so let's tell you a little bit about Crispin to start with. Crispin Barker is a physiotherapist who graduated from Brunel University and worked at UCL hospitals in London until 2007. He and his wife then moved to Bristol and started work in uh, pain management service and uh, chronic fatigue services by using bio, uh, psychosocial, easy for me to say, Mike, and cognitive behavioral approach. Uh, he continues to work with uh, the service comprising of occupational therapists, psychologists, and physiotherapists. Uh, he's also studied and taught Tai Chi for over 30 years, as well as being a level three AIDA free diver. Okay. So kind of cool right there. Okay. But here, here comes one of my superheroes in life and I'm, and I'm not kidding <laughs> with this. You ready for this? All right. Steve Carnes has several accomplishments to his credit. So here's the first one. He's an ultra marathoner. All right. He's completed races, including a hundred mile West Highland uh, way race, a 50 mile uh, Kabbalah. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Kabbalah Blanco ultra. That's the race that's featured in the best-selling book born to run and the 50 mile Taft trail. All he, he did all those twice. Uh, as well, he's done the 80-mile Ridgeway Challenge and, and the Marathon Disable, which is 150 mile across the Sahara Desert, carrying all uh, equipment in a kit. All right. So, all right, you're thinking, okay, that's pretty cool in and of itself. All right, so let's keep going. Steve also spent 14 years in the British military with two years airborne and 12 years special forces. That's 23 SAS. Okay, so almost like our, our Navy SEAL, so to speak. All right. So you're thinking, all right, we got like the British David Goggins on our hands, right? <laughs> well, here we go. Here's the craziest part. In 2017, uh, he suffered a catastrophic stroke as a result of a brain hemorrhage and required 10 and a half hours of surgery on his brainstem, which is the most fragile and eloquent part of the brain. Uh, lost all movement skills and prognosis mm -hmm. was a two to three year recovery with permanent deficits and possible need for a walker or cane. Disagreed with the doctors and signed himself out of the hospital in a wheelchair, all right? Rehabbed himself and smashed all his prognosis targets inside 10 weeks, all right? He's a member of the External Advisory Medical Board for Hypertrophic Olivary Degeneration Association, HODA. Did I say that right, Steve? In yeah. uh, HOD is, is a degenerative ataxic condition that can present itself with individuals who are post-brain injuries. So that's a lot to soak in. And I want to tell the story how kind of I met Steve, but let's let's start off by Steve. You kind of tell everybody your your kind of remarkable story and give us a quick recap of kind of how you found the courage to to and the resolve to do what you've done. Um, you just covered it all, haven't you? <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not sure that courage and well maybe resolve might, might be fair. But I think it's a it's a little bit different when you when you're in the situation uh, than I, I think than those around you. Because um, I mean, poor me just just does not go anywhere. 
I mean, while she might be deserving of, of sympathy, it's it's just not going to help. And so, you know, the, the only person who, who's, who's going to make a difference here uh, is yourself. Or rather, if anyone else is going to make a difference with you, you you've got to be up and owning it. Um, I, with, with respect to disagreeing with the doctors and that, uh, I suppose it goes back to some of the stuff you covered there prior to. When, when I was with the regiment, the, the last six years, which was sort of three years either side of a tour of Afghanistan, I was on the regimental training team. And our, our main task there was, was preparing and managing recruits who were going up for the selection course, which was it spread over six months and finished with something that's uh, called Test Week. Uh, a pretty pretty grueling assessment, I think. There's the Hell Week is is something which the seals have, so it, it it's a different beast than the, the seal stuff. It's a lot of um, you know it's solo navigational walks, carrying huge amounts of kit over the uh, over the mountains. But but uh, anyway, the um, for that first three year period, we the, the well. Five out of the six courses yielded only one successful recruit. The, the average pass rate was between zero and one percent. And the, the the reason why um, guys would fail who, who we felt had the necessary mental and physical attributes that we'd associate with success was was through injury and not sort of falling over and tearing a cruciate. It, it was sort of chronic sports injury, um, iliotibial band syndrome. Uh, lower back problems, ankle and knee problems. And so when when I was away in Afghan, I knew when I'd come back, I was going to be a senior figure on the team. So I wanted to take that on and find out why it was happening because I'm not having it that, you know, guys just aren't as tough as they used to be because these fellas were, you know, the, 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 the fitness levels when they turn up are through the roof. I mean, wanted to find out what was going on. So the, the first thing we did was look at that. Um, I, I was introduced to, to Gray's work then. Um, we didn't actually use the FMS. Uh, this would have been 2008. Um, we didn't use the, the FMS. We were aware of it. And we sort of took on the principles, if you will. Uh, and what we tried to do is gear our training around um producing bodies which would score well on an FMS. Um, we we realised straight away that these guys live in the Western world, so they they turn up with the, the postural and mobility flaws that you know it, you'd associate with this this the seated the seated lifestyle. Um, and so we corrected that. That didn't make too much of a difference. And then we stumbled on, but didn't stumble on. We we rationalised that just because they could move correctly now doesn't mean that they will. And so we focused on movement quality, which um, you know got them rolling. Well, tried to reset their movement and so take it right back to the neural development sequence with rolling, crawling, and um, kneeling and squatting. And then hey presto, the results went through the roof. We we had over an over fifty percent pass rate with ex exactly the same test. Uh, the last course we did, um, our location had the fewest recruits at the start than all of the locations. Uh, but at the end, we had more passes than the rest of them put together. And because of the, the sort of success we used to have with that, I, I, I swear this is true. I honestly used to wonder, you know, why don't they use this with brain injury patients? Um, and then, you know, obviously must have wondered a little bit too hard and got given the chance to, to walk me talk. Although in between that, I, 2014, that was when I first met yourself, Eric, in uh, Rally at the Perform Better Summit. Um, and, you know, that just further, uh, you know, got me FMS, uh, you know, credentials in. And I just went more and more down the movement quality and got invested in the, the neural development sequence. I used to use a neural development sequence warm-up for every single session I'd do prior to going into um going into the hospital and so i had a had a brain hemorrhage from a a, a non-cancerous vascular tumor 
called a cabanoma on my brainstem, and yeah, that that was it. And I was I was pretty uh, pretty smashed with that vision problems. Um, obviously, unable to walk. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I had the worst hangover I'd ever had, and I hadn't earned it. Um, <laughs> and well, I, I was scheduled for for. Uh, surgery to remove the tumor in in two weeks so I was hospitalized for those two weeks so I got me missus to bring me in a um an exercise mat and I just started rolling and crawling doing the sequence and trying to restore me patterns um <laughs> me missus came in and sneaked me out in a wheelchair so I could watch the Liverpool Newcastle game halfway through <laughs> but but other than that it was just me in my private room um, <laughs> uh, doing the you know development sequence, but then with the odd uh, visit from a physio who would then you know try to get me to, you know to do the, the the classic rehab stuff, which you know I, that was when I was just got it in my head. I, I'm I'm not having this. I, I'm not staying here for this. Um, and then it is as one which sort of highlights the situation. Um, I, I got myself to something that could be described, you know, or, or thought of as, as walking um, in in those two weeks. Um, but then the day before surgery, I had an assessment by uh, a, a doctor and a and a physio, uh, both of whom were were you know probably probably significantly younger than me now. Like <laughs> it's unfortunate I can say that. Um, and they, they did all of their numerous assessments. And, you know, it didn't actually include a, a, a deep squat. Um, so I, as it happens, all my symmetrical hip patterns, that they weren't, they weren't as badly affected. Um, asymmetrical hip patterns, I was just all over the show. Um, so I, I still had, well, certainly by the end of those two weeks, I still had me squat. But out of those three people in the room, only one person could squat the physio and the doctor didn't have a deep squat now both of them would consider themselves to to be physically fit you know which sort of what what can that mean and to them to be physically fit as such but yet they they can't do a deep squat and yet they're also going to teach um and rehabilitate patients to walk so that that's you know that summed it all up for me and so i had um I had the surgery and I was absolutely smashed by that. I mean, brain surgery is just controlled trauma. And you know, I'd, the usual operation is between two and five hours is considered a long time. And it, it's you, it's a reasonable rule of thumb, rule of thumb rather, to equate the, the extent of the impact of the surgery with the duration, you know. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you just rummaged around with a blunt spoon for about two hours, like it wouldn't be a good outcome. But normally, two hours compared to ten hours is a significant difference. And afterwards, I, I was smashed to bits. Um, I I couldn't even crawl. You know, obviously couldn't walk after the stroke. Couldn't crawl after the after the surgery. When this was the weirdest thing, when I managed to get myself into a into a quadruped position, I couldn't crawl. It just wasn't in the program to to be able to work out how to move a, a limb. But I could actually feel gravity. Um, my reflexive stability was was that destroyed. You know, you know, if you ever get on a on a spinning wheel in a kid's playground, and you can I'm sure you've been in a lot of kids' playgrounds, Eric. And you, <laughs> when you get on a on a spinning I don't, wheel. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, Steve. <laughs> and you get centrifugal force, sort of throws you there, throws you out. I, I could feel gravity in that same sense sucking me in, into the floor um and well just once again i i started the the neurodevelopment sequence and then i i had the conversation with um with with the physios when it, it about three days after it spent three days in intensive care once we come out of that you know I, I spoke to one of them about my um my rehab plan and you know I said to him, I said, look, can you tell me that, that walking is not dependent on competence in, in spinal dissociation or rolling and crawling or the coordination of that? He said, no. I said, 
all, all a hospital bed is going to do is just keep you safe. I'm not. It's going to make it difficult to get out. I'm going to be losing my, mo my mobility. Um, and you know, if you can't teach a skill in a range of movement that doesn't exist. So unless you can tell me I'm wrong on any of them, I, I'm I'm out of here today. And he said, "Well, I can't." I said, "Okay." Said, "I mean, I was respectful with it, like, but uh, I was me. I was I was gone." And then, you know, went went home and I resolved I wasn't going to even try to walk until I had competence in in all of the all of the fundamental patterns. And so I I just instead of having a you know, a one hour spell with a, with a physio every couple of days. I, I was living me rehab, you know, learning the skills in exactly the same way as, a, um, well, as we all learnt our, our fundamental patterns, I would just, I would crawl everywhere. Uh, obviously got the rolling first. Um, and then if I needed to get anything, you know, if I wanted something from the kitchen and I was watching telly, then I would crawl through to the kitchen, get whatever it is and crawl back. When I went to go go to bed over night time, I'd crawl from the living room up the stairs and into my bedroom. And then I think it was 14 days. I'm not sure if it was 14 days after I got home or 14 days post surgery. I was um I was I was back walking again. You know, in something that could be, you know, a self-ambulating without fear of <laughs> going like a ball through skittles, like you know, and that that was it basically the um the, the story on that so you know we're gonna we're gonna ask crispin uh you know a question here so crispin as a physiotherapist how did you feel when you first heard of steve and his story and how he really didn't follow the traditional treatment and was able to accomplish what he did how, how did you react to that mm -hmm. i mean I, I met steve purely by chance I, I actually work in the hospital where he was operated on uh, but we we just met, you know, socially outside. I just happened to be in the same space where he was um, giving a talk to some other people. Um, but because you know, movement has played such a such a powerful part of my life. I was I was so drawn to his narrative and his story. Uh, and and I thought to myself, I, I think one of I was pretty excited to be honest. Um, I mean, as as rehab therapists, I think we can all relate to a good success story. I think all of us, I mean, for sure we can learn from, from our failures as well, but I think as a rehab therapist, I think we're drawn to, to people's successes. We want to find out more about why, you know, what was it, what, what, were, the, um, what were the components of that successful rehab? And, and I remember thinking, I think, yeah, this could help a lot of people actually. You know, this is, um, and I, and I was thinking that there are like two aspects in, in particular, which, which really um, kind of drew me to, to, to what Steve was doing. Uh, first of all, it was his mindset, uh, because I think whatever field of rehab we're working in, um, you know, elite athletics or, or what I do like in pain management, I think confidence, confidence is a massive, massive thing. And, and Steve seemed to have this in bucket loads, you know, like to have the confidence to check yourself out of out of hospital and engineer your own rehab plan. You know, that that's that like takes internal locus of control to like another level. Uh, so I was very interested in his mindset and you know, what is it about Steve that might help me help other people to gain more self-efficacy? But the other thing really which stood out was, well, what system is he using? What, you know, what process? And, and is this process repeatable with other groups of people too? Um, so then, he, you know, he told me about the neurodevelopment sequence, about FMS. Um, later on, I was able to do a couple of FMS courses, which was just, a, you know, that was a fantastic education in itself. Um, but I just started... Um, I just started looking at my own clinical practice to see, okay, based on this new these the, the systems that you know Steve is using, based on you know good physics, good biomechanics, good neuroplasticity, you know solid like a solid bedrock of science. What do I, as a therapist, now need to jettison because there's some other more useful information to hand here? You know what kind of stuff have I have been using which, which may no longer be so relevant? 
and and to start using some of these some of these things in practice for myself. So I kind of liken the whole thing like if I was kind of trawling the North Sea for oil, I kind of I felt like I hit on this kind of amazing kind of oil field which is gonna kind of kind of bear fruit for, for many years to come, hopefully. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, in Chris Chris, and you especially as a as a physio. If this were to happen to someone, as it does, unfortunately, every day, um, in another part of the world, who's who doesn't have access to to Steve or someone who knows what Steve knows, what's mm -hmm. the general standard plan of care and expectations for someone who had a, a mm -hmm. situation similar to Steve's with that type of brain injury? Yeah, well, that's a good question, really. I mean, it's kind of partly the old thing, isn't it? Like, if if someone has a problem and they met twenty different therapists. They might get 20 different rehab plans, but, but in general, I, I would say, you know, based on my experience of in, in a variety of kind of clinical settings over the years, I guess success generally in, in the traditional sense is measured by how quickly can we get somebody from lying to sitting into standing and then walking. And that, you know, that metric of success is, is really based on, you know, how quickly can we get someone so that you know, endpoints of being able to stand and, and being able to walk, um, and you know, like I, I was in a conversation the other day with an amazing doctor, really lovely colleague, a, a guy, um, a consultant who heads up the, the brain in, the brain injury unit in Bristol, really, really good, really good doctor, and we were, I was telling him a little bit about the, you know the NDS and and a little bit about what what Steve had done, and and you could see that it was. Um, I kind of got the sense that that, that was a pretty unusual concept to have, to, to have talked about. And, and I remember he, he spoke a lot more about the um, just the joy that patients get when you get them up into standing for the first time, or, you know, try to get them to walk with a with the aid of a walker or parallel bars or something. And uh, and I think that's that's generally the, the aim of rehab at the moment. So even if even at the cost of of some pretty maybe unhelpful compensations in the long term and using using various kind of walking aids or devices. I'd, I'd say that's the that's the mainstream. And and it just misses out so much. You know, if it, when I learned about what Steve did to to rehab all of those, all of those components, all of those really important components um, leading up to leading up to walking, that subserve walking, it, it just makes so much sense, you know. So, Steve, I know you have some insight into this in terms of expectations and, and, and lack thereof, unfortunately, in some cases. And I'm going to have you mm -hmm. tell your story in a little bit about uh, your experience getting to present, you know, your story at, at some pretty big places. But um, let me backtrack. I promise I tell the story of, of Steve. I had met Steve, as he mentioned, at, at a, a bigger summit that that was quite a while back and didn't quite make the connection that um, a couple years later, I was teaching an FMS course here in New Jersey and uh, Gray Cook was coming in and teach the last day with me. He gets there and he, uh, on the day before, and he says, oh, have you met Steve yet? And I said, mm, I might have, which one is Steve? And he says, well, he's sitting in the front row over there. I said, oh yeah, there's a couple of guys sitting up in the front. They, they were at one of our summits, They're real nice guys. He's like, did he tell you his story? I said, no. And he proceeds to tell me his story and I'm like, blown away and I, I grabbed Steve and I said listen what you've done is remarkable I said would you be cool with like sharing your story um after we get back from lunch and so Steve you know has his entire uh journey from post-surgery on that he chronicled on video and he has it posted on Facebook we're going to put the link up because if you if you need to turn your day around I need you to invest 10 minutes and watch this video so I tell everybody in the class I said listen you need to be in your seats when we get back from lunch. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be better than anything I'm going to teach you in the last three days. So we get back from lunch and I, everybody sits down and I just put on the video. And when I tell you there was not a dry eye in the entire place and people are blown away. And I'm like, you think that story is cool? Well, that guy's sitting right here. And he, he came up and he told the story and it was remarkable. You could hear a pin drop and it still gives me chills to this day. So from that point on, I said, I got to keep in touch with this guy. Fortunately, we've been able to, to become friends and stay in touch over the while. And then he reached out to me, you know, a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, we're, we're doing this thing. It's called the movement project. 
um, would you be, you know, interested in getting involved? And I said, if I can lend any, you know, granular piece of help into this thing, please let me do it. And um, I, I want to have you tell it, Steve, of what you're actually doing with this with this movement project, because it's nothing short of, of miraculous. Tell us kind of how it came to fruition and who's part of the group and what are some of the things we've been able to accomplish with that? Um, I suppose it, it actually has its genesis um, back in the, around about the time of the, the conference in, in New Jersey that you, you just mentioned there. Because um, pretty much after, after the, the results I had with with my own recovery and then knowing uh, you know the what what the classic approaches were how put you know how people are being let down by it and obviously not let down by individual um therapists or whatever they're, they're doing what the what they're taught but you know there's so much more that's possible and you know if you get people who are motivated to uh, own their own recovery then the the, the most brilliant people to to work with and the most rewarding you know if, if you actually see see the results so i've been involved in a number of brain injury forums you know um you know trying to put out help where it, where it could etc um and then that that's when i first came across chelsea who you you've obviously met eric and you know, Chelsea's still still got her, her challenges now, but way back then, well, mate, she was um, she she was pretty damn smashed up. She she couldn't form an opposable thumb with any of her fingers, couldn't touch her nose, her ataxia. With you know, she almost presented like a Parkinson's victim. It, it was it was that bad, but she had this this brilliant attitude on her, and she would post videos of um uh. Of, of the rehab she was doing and the work she was doing. And they had a different isolated strength exercises, you know? And I say her, her attitude was, was magic. So I thought, I've, I've got to, I've got to try and help this girl. Like, so, you know, I, I reached out to her over the internet and then like, like most unsolicited, unsolicited contacts from a, near 50 year old bloke to a very attractive late 20s girl i was i was routinely ignored as some sort of internet stalker you know um but then when i came over for the um for the seminar in in new jersey um in, with those brain injury forums i said i would do my own seminar um and patrick patrick pridborowski a young friend of yours eric um he loaned his studio for me for me to do the, uh, the 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 seminar and Chelsea actually only lived 15 minutes down the road so that's how Chelsea then came I took over um her rehab and obviously did all, all of this over the over the internet this is this is one of the things which when I'm able to achieve over the internet as opposed to in person if if these methods were being employed in person by people then the results you would get would be incredible and so the results it got with Chelsea they you know became apparent within these forums you know some some other people um got in touch with me for me to to do their rehab um and then I was sort of thinking of ways in which I can try and do the most for the most um but then I, I presented at the the uh, World Congress for Neurorehabilitation in 2020 and was routinely ignored. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I want to go back and have some solid results. And maybe that will, you know, um, get noticed a bit more. So my intent was to get, recruit a, a suite of participants from the brain injury forums. Um, and then take them through the a, a neurodevelopment sequence and movement pattern led uh, rehab for for three months and then you know document the results which we did do and it formed a, an abstract which i then got accepted for the the next um world congress okay. but but the results we we were having with with them um and i obviously recruited crispin right at the start of the of the project um and then the results we were having with them was, was just so incredible uh, we, we didn't have the heart to to stop it, <laughs> so we we've kept it going since. And we, you know, the 
I've always loved working with motivated people. That was, you know, the, one of the best aspects of my time in the forces. And then when I've trained people since, or certainly when I've been doing the rehab, working with motivated people is a is, is a reward in itself. And on these sessions, as as you've now seen yourself, we have almost like a medical session, and it, it's it's just brilliant. Um, and what we're able to achieve. Um, it, it one of the I suppose it was in one of the questions you you asked earlier of what the, the standard uh, treatments and plans are. Um, at the World Con Congress, there's a, a clinical pathways um, sequence of lectures, which is supposedly the the, the gold standard in uh, well neuro rehabilitation, and one of them is is in relearning to walk, and in in one of the in, in, in this lecture, they put up a, a, a graph showing the, the recovery curve, which, uh, you know, starts flat, goes like a hockey stick in the, um, in the first three months, starts to tail off three months to six months, and then just, just flattens thereafter. You know, the, the expectation is no significant progress after six months, and then zero progress after, um, after two years or two to three years, which was my uh, original estimate. Um, and then everyone on the, on the movement project was already in that chronic phase. And then the, the results we've had, all of which is documented, or we, we've got it all on video. So there, there's no, um, you know, there's no trying to deny any of it. Uh, it it's just a, just a, you know, a, a brilliant thing to be part of. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So can you guys clarify, uh, and, and as simply as possible, because when it comes to, you know, brain injuries and yeah. the brain in general, uh -huh. it's, it's some pretty yeah. uh, in-depth stuff. So could you guys, uh, you know, uh, sort of give us some insight on some of the classifications of brain injuries uh, that you work with within the group? And um, are there any differences as far as the prognosis and expectations within those different types of classifications of the injuries? Well, you then... They often get classified by the, the the region of the brain which is uh, impacted, and there are different functions which are associated with different areas. Uh, but to, to be honest, that that's just more going to give you um, some background on likely expectations of symptoms. Um, you, you you're going to have either acquired brain injury, which is one which you know, you could say develops internally, or you'll have traumatic um, brain injury. Um, it work, worked with with both, and it, it it's ultimately you, you'll you know there will be um, there will be a mechanism of in injury that compromises an area of the brain. When that area gets compromised, the the, the function which which it is uh, participates in will in turn be compromised, and you can look at it as as generic as that. Um, so you, there's two different types of stroke. One is ischemic, which is where one of the vessels gets blocked, uh, which is the, that's the most commonly, um, you know, encountered or certainly aware of uh, type of stroke. And then you can have a stroke which is caused by a bleed, which was that's what mine was a brain hemorrhage. You know, it is a hemorrhagic stroke. But you know, within the within the movement project, we we've had guys who've You've had tumors, so a tumor removed a meningioma. Um, different areas of the brain, although mostly it, uh, as it happens by chance rather than design, uh, they're mostly brainstem injury patients, which often is the most far-reaching damage. But um, anyone, anyone, and anyone who who suffers movement compromise as a result of of, of brain injury would be would be eligible for it. Uh, I, I think there's, you know, there's a, 
a, a very limiting belief out there that you know certain areas of the brain specialize or, or all areas of the brain specialize and and then if you if you damage that right that's it you, you've lost that skill and you have to work around it well you know the, the brain's ability to to rebuild uh different patterns neuroplasticity that that that's there for life you know and, and that that was one of the things which i thought was just bad science about the classic approach in this expectation that once you're six months past uh, past injury you know you, you're not going to improve but you know if, if neuroplasticity continues for life then then why so but i think what you've got is classically um well you could say broadly brain injury patients obviously a traumatic brain injury could happen to anyone but acquired brain injury um, is people are going to be probably 50 plus i mean let's just say 40 plus but if you if you look in the western world what 40 plus person has got anything like authentic mobility and if they haven't got authentic mobility then any first of all is there sufficient range of movement to actually attempt the skill. And if there, if there is, you're going to be decreasing the biomechanical advantage and increasing the challenge. So you increase, you've got increased physical challenge, but decreased neurological capability. Well, that's not going to be good. And if their movement lifestyle before the stroke is insufficient to maintain good mobility, then after the stroke, it's, it's going to be going downhill fast. And so you got six months of exceptionally compromised movement lifestyle. Well, what's that going to do to someone's mobility? And you know, is is there a correlation there that you know you you've got what's termed spontaneous recovery, which is you know the body's ability just to recover by itself. Uh, and I, you know, my my sort of thesis on it, like, is that you know that six months is largely what spontaneous. Uh, healing's going to give you and uh, what the rehab's doing you know it might help you with activities of daily life and be able to sustain you know your, your own life to an extent but as far as regaining authentic movement it's not going to happen and then over that six months your mobility's gone downhill and so your chances of restoring that um are, are going to be zero i mean the the day before these people would have their stroke or, or brain injury. Yes, they could walk then, but that, that's that been built off. First of all, a, a platform probably around about age 12 or 13 where they had authentic mobility and where they, they could walk then or authentically. But then every day since then, when they start sitting down more than uh, as, as the greater part of the day, they're having a day-by-day -day loss of their mobility. And so you'll have a day-by-day -day compensation within your movement patterns. And that will happen all of the way up to the day before their brain injury. Well, yeah, they could walk the day before, but they didn't have the necessary mobility to be able to learn to walk, should they have to. And then, bang, brain injury, mobility only gets worse. And to, to use some parlance, which, which you know, I first uh, introduced me by, by Greg, which, you know, is it a hardware problem or a software problem? Now, I, ironically, in the, the sort of athletic populations, everything is solely considered a hardware problem. Very few people ever, ever think about movement patterns, you know, i.e. software. But in the brain injury world, everyone just thinks of it solely as a software problem. Never mind the fact that they haven't got the range of movement for the skill they're trying to give them. And, you know, it... it they, they talk about balance as if balance is, is just a, a neurological thing. But the structural component of balance is, is enormous. You know, I, I sort of have very much been aware of that uh, myself because, you know, I'm still working on my own recovery now and certainly constantly working on the, the musculoskeletal uh, part of things to either maintain good mechanics where I've got them and, and regain them where, where I haven't. And I've very, I mean, I'm six years on, and in the last three months, the difference I've been able to achieve in my single leg balance has been night and day, and that's all been because of soft tissue intervention, all all hardware problems.
and it, it just flatly does not get doesn't even get acknowledged in um in you know um in the relearning to walk world you know so I'm, I'm not sure if that answers the question I've forgotten what it was now just rambled on <laughs> Well, I, I can attest in, in being a, a, a fly in the wall uh, for some, some of these uh, movement project sessions that, that there literally is a miracle happening every single time I, I'm able to have, you know, the good grace of being on one of these things. And, you know, I had this discussion with both Crispin and Steve, you know, before the last one and talking about some of the things that I wanted to try to introduce, not because of any great brilliance of, of my own. And I, with full transparency, say I'm incredibly out of my league. In dealing with what these people are dealing with, but the reality is, is that I, I'm, you know, I'm a, just a simple strength coach and trainer, and I'm, and I have a lot of experience just looking at movement, and it's from the perspective of, okay, well, if you can't do this, here's some things to help you do that, and if you can't do that, or some of these things, then here's how you regress them down, and if you can do that, well, here's how we're going to progress you forward, and it's pretty simple, cut and dry, you know, principles of of exercise progression. And that's all I've really uh, lended in terms of this project. And, and when it comes down to it, it's really just movement, right? And so when we look at that, you know, for either of you guys, why really do we need to train? You know, obviously there's certain medical considerations, but beyond those, why do we need to treat these brain injury patients any different than somebody else who can't move well? I, I, I think that's... Um... I, I think that's a really good point. I, I think that was enormously humble of you, Eric. Actually, <laughs> I think what, what you shared, what you've shared in the group in the last couple of couple of weeks, has been amazing. But I, I think um, I, I think this is the beauty of the system, really, where you know, irrespective of whether someone is an elite athlete or a brain injury patient or or anyone in between, you know, the 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 the, the well, you know, the well used checklist uh, of of the movement system and, and the neurodevelopment sequence is just it just it's just so useful and, and to kind of go through that checklist and say well you know can you accomplish can you accomplish this pattern and this pattern whereabouts does your whereabouts does your successful challenge become an unsuccessful challenge and and why is that is that a mobility problem or a, a software problem um, I think it's just. Uh, I think it's a great. It's a great example that for me, this this group is a great example of how you can apply this single system to almost any you know any kind of health condition which causes movement deficit. But when when Steve asked me to go on this project, I said, "No way! What am I? What am I on earth? What am I on earth going to offer this 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 group of amazing people?" Um, and, and I have to say that I've learned more than I've offered, but I, I, I can still see the clarity like that it makes sense to just go through the system, you know, go through your checklist and see and, and see what's missing, really. Yeah, I think that's an overplayed humility on, on both your and Eric's part there, mate, you know, most definitely. But it, the, the thing is, if, if something would be um, either a blocker a challenge or a deficit for what we, for purposes of this conversation we'll call a normal healthy person. Well, that, that, that's it's going to be a, 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 an order of magnitude higher for the brain injury patients. So you you wouldn't you wouldn't and can't ignore that. And you know why why they would and then just try to go to a more complex skill. You know, like I, I, I've had you know when, whenever. The, 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 the people who I, uh, I, I try to, in the medical fraternity, who I've had the conversations with, they, they tend to fall into, <laughs> into two groups, you know, neuro re um, ex existing neuro rehab professionals and non neuro rehab professionals. And the non neuro rehab professionals are, are talked to, they, you know, engage with exactly as Crispin has and think, that's so logical. Why wouldn't that work? It's obvious now you say it and get quite enthused with it. Uh, when I talk to neuro rehab, I mean, maybe it's my delivery. I don't know, but they they just take it as a as a dominance dispute, and the the trying to defend the position of going straight to walking when because because that's I, I don't think we've covered that here. That is like the the standard um, procedure is you go straight to walking, 
And if if you can't walk unassisted, then it's assisted walking. And it's uh, it's high intensity, by the way, <laughs> high intensity attempts at walking because high intensity uh, exercise releases brain de uh, derived neurofactor, which assists or promotes in the building of neurological patterns. Well, yeah, great. But if you're not building the right patterns, it, it's of yeah. limited use, you know? And and how, how, how can you advocate going straight for something where the people don't have the mobility for it and don't have the dependent skills? I, I, I don't understand how someone can, can have that debate. And then also that they're working to a... Um, an accepted target or constraint that they're only going to get significant improvement in, in six months. And we, we routinely, it's absolute routine uh, that in the movement project, every single person on there has got, you know, what would be considered significant improvement by anyone's standard, but by brain injury standards, you know, beyond significant. And I, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the few cases, well, I'm usually not lost for words, but <laughs> the, I'm lost for more cultured words. <laughs> so I've actually, I have a, a question for you guys. Um, so, you know, when you look at the, the NDS and, you know, it's basically some simple to complex movements and, you know, we start in that supine position, you know, and then we, we start to roll and we go into prone and, and we have that, that whole entire sort of systematic approach in, in which kids do naturally because kids don't have movement coaches, right? Like we really don't. So the question I have is like, let's say, you know, with a toddler, when, when a toddler is learning to stand up, they, they usually stand up from the bottom of a squat and then they stand up from the bottoms up. So, and, and one of the ways that they learn is via feedback by, you know, you'll, you'll see a toddler and they'll move around and they'll try to find their balance and they'll try to find a way to distribute their weight. So the question I have with, with kids, they're just going to fall over and, you know, fall on their butt. They're not too far from the ground. So it's not a big deal. The learning comes from the experience and trial and error. A lot of the times when it comes to, you know, kids and toddlers moving, how does that look when you're working with someone that's had a stroke? Because, you know, they could be, you know, they're generally older and there could be a safety component where a toddler would get feedback from falling on their butt and then standing right back up. How do you create an environment or do you create an environment for people that have had strokes or, you know, brain injuries where they can, they can get the feedback of failing, but they're still safe? Great, great question. Uh, but it, it, it's built right into the system and it, it's built into that same system um you, you know that that applies to the to the baby because although um but it can stand and fall on its butt and that's maybe a little 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 bit different than for the adult where it it learns the skills to be able to stand is when it's going from crawling to kneeling and just for the baby and for the adult that's when it will crawl over to something that it wants and then come up onto its knees to free up its hands. So that that's, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it always has the reason to move. That's what needs to drive behavior as opposed to, to cognitive commands, to, to muscles to do something, which especially if you're in a sets and reps environment, it, does, it doesn't make sense to, to the movement brain, you know? Um, and it, it, when you've got either necessity or... Uh, you know, might be curiosity or saying, you know, a reason to move. You know, you would crawl to it, you come up to free up the hands, and in doing so, well, you then you've got a vertical pelvis, you've got a two-point base of support within in your knees. So everything from the knees up is standing, but you've got a reduced challenge, you've got a reduced center of gravity, you've got two huge feet, which are in fact your tibia, but the cost of failure is just putting your hands down. And that's the same for the adult. And that's the same for the for the baby, because you, where, what you were talking about there, when the baby tries to come up from the squat, or or even when it, um, and they, they can they can do it both ways around. I know my my grandson learned his squat from standing as opposed to learning to standing from from squat. Mm -hmm. um, if if they didn't know how to fall at that stage, then there would still be a cost of failure with the baby. You know, if they were falling you know, just like a post to left and right, which 
I mean, I, that that happened to me one time in in the hospital when I was having one of my uh, one of my assessments. I I just fell like a uh, like a tree trunk. It was a bizarre thing because I sort of clocked the moment, well, you know, which most people do when you think, ah, this is unrecoverable. But I I also just didn't have anything in the program to to either put a hand out or something. It was just it just wasn't there. I was just, I was just seeing. Fortunately, I fell onto the bed, which was chance rather than design, and it, it just you know was just grateful for that. So you know it's built into the system in that in that respect. Um, but the the sequence in which you learn the skills is a is a similar thing again, because it for I mean rolling. Most people probably aren't aware of the significance of of rolling, um, but it's dissociation of the spine. Obviously, when you walk, left foot forward, right arm forward. Well, that's your shoulders are pointing off in one direction, hips on the other. If they're on the same spine, so that spine's got a corkscrew. Now, if the spine corkscrew, every one of those, well, if you just go lumbar and thoracic, you've got 17 joints there. Um, I, I was that for quick maths, Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better than me. So, if that dissociates. You've um, every one of them is going to be in a unique position, but every one of them has got to maintain congruity with the joint above and the joint below. Now, neurologically, that that's a huge deal. So learn it on the floor where you can't fall off. But but in, instead, you'll you'll see it when you've got a brain injury patient who's lost the um the the, the rolling pattern or the dissociation pattern. You get that Robbie the robot stroke walk where the hips are going with the shoulders. And you know, part of that as well is, is when you identify cost of failure, uh, if there's risk of failure, then you, you, you'll go into protective bracing. If you mm -hmm. go into protective bracing in the core, then that spine ain't dissociating. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's, um, that, that's, that, that, that's something that I have seen in, in rehab, you know, not just in neuro rehab over, over the years, but in in care homes and so on. Um, you know, I, I was redeployed to some care homes in the in the, during the pandemic, and and by missing out by missing out those really important stages in the NDS, uh, and and someone goes tries to go from sitting into a standing position, and and it's exactly like you say, Steve. Everything braces up, and now all they're doing is they're just surviving that walk. You know, however far the therapist is trying to get them to walk, they're just surviving it. You know the breathing pattern goes out the window, um, and it's um, and, and whatever neural learning is taking place, it's probably you know it's probably not not that helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I I can speak from experience when if you're stood up, and you know you haven't got the movement skills, then you know it you you have that that fear and it's all consuming. You're getting given instructions. You know, can you know tense mm. your glute or something like that from the video, and you're there and nothing. Your 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 focus is on on survival. Yeah. So so Steve, uh, you were recently um, able to present at the World Congress for Neuro Rehab in Vienna, Austria. Mm -hmm. um, how was your message received by that medical community? Yeah, I sort of touched on it before. Everyone who wasn't a neuro uh, professional, um, well, I suppose actually everyone who was there should be. Everyone who wasn't involved in, in movement <laughs> rehab um, was was fascinated by it and really enthused, and especially when I, I showed them the results. But everyone who was involved in the, the movement stuff, it, it was just seen as a dominance dispute. The... Um, the, the only thing which is now considered to, to be the, the, the groundbreaking or where they're looking to break new ground, mate, would you believe this, is, is exoskeletons. You know, if people can't walk, they're trying to teach them to walk by putting them in something out of a science fiction movie, you know, doing them at the Robocop with them. And, you know, there's also, um, you know, direct brain stimulation. Where previously they would they would drill. I mean, it's fascinating stuff you see in some God knows capable and clever people uh, drilling into the brain with electrodes into the brain and being able to elicit movement out of that. And actually, if they undergo it for long enough, they they do reclaim some of the movement that they get in there, and they can do it with almost like a, a skull cap now, which takes about five minutes to put on instead of having your brain drilled into. 
But the examples they were given was this guy being able to, um, I'm going, going into the air, uh, divided by a common language now, I'm going to say grab a crisp out of a packet. Now, would you call that a potato chip? Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, that was it. He's got this skull cap on, and he can now take a potato chip out of a bag and and eat that. And it was, he was saying that's all he wanted to do after his after his stroke. But you know that I think there's you know some expectations that are uh, wrapped up in there, which yeah, imagine the investment that's gone into wearing this skull cap so we can take a you know take a potato chip out. Well, yeah, fair enough, great, and all of that, but. Do all of this without any of the cost. And one of the things is neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to, to build new patterns, it's stimulated by experiencing new and expansive movement. It's not so much the other way around, you know, and, and if you think about it, why that would be like with, with when the brain's growing at, a, at its most rapid rate is when the, the baby's, ex, everything it's experiencing is new and expansive. And so, you, you know, you don't, you, you don't lose movement because you get old. I mean, it, this is this ain't my phrase. <laughs> like, um, you, you know, you you get old because you stop moving. So I preface every time I talk about anything with uh, neurodevelopmental sequencing and and really just talking about um, the software itself of of how our brain and musculoskeletal system kind of connect. And I say, look, regardless of who or what you believe in and how this whole thing was created and who wrote this software, the one thing I do know is that it's way smarter than me or anybody else in this room. And so mm -hmm. the ability to tap into that is really where I think that the magic and elegance is. And so, um, you know, as, as we're kind of coming to a close here, there was so many reasons I was excited about having, you know, Steve, you and, and Crispin on and not the least of which is that if at some point, somewhere, somehow, someone who's listening or watching this either goes, you know, God forbid, goes through this themselves or has a family member or a friend or someone close to them that goes through this, that what you have done um, from a, you know, very um, fact-driven, you know, uh, system-driven way, as well as a very emotionally inspirational way is you have taken that traumatic incident. And instead of making that kind of the end, a closing note, you've taken that as a new beginning. And mm -hmm. to that, you know, myself and anybody else who's involved in this, who comes in, in contact with your work, can't thank you enough for that. And so I think that's really one of the biggest things I wanted to get out there from this episode was what you've been able to do and kind of turning that whole thing on its head from an outlook standpoint. Well, that, you know, that is, it's not nice to hear. And one of the things is I ain't got special genes. Um, I mean, I, I suppose on the introduction, you know, with ultra marathons and special forces, people might sort of think that, you know, I, I've never been the most physically talented in my, in any peer group I've been in. Uh, well, except maybe when I was on the Euro Award. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I, I, I haven't been. Admittedly, I have, I've, you know, I've got a, a decent amount of discipline and determination, which is what, that's what my ultra marathon was, was based on. And then also me, uh, me, me time in SF. But as far as magic genes go, absolutely not. A anyone, anyone can, can do this. And, you know, everyone's already has done this. That's when they taught themselves to walk the um, the first time. I mean, I'm, we're, we're going to look with the uh, with, with the movement project and something I would daily hope you can be part of, mate. Is I'm gonna gonna want to try and use as a vehicle for the um, the next abstract I'm going to submit for the next World Congress. Um, I want to go down the movement project uh, route again. But I want to try to use the SFMA. I want to try to establish uh, objective metrics for mobility for each one of the um, neural development sequence patterns. And, you know, to try to present that, because for me, it just makes it utterly compelling. We say, right, can, can the person uh, exhibit these movements? Now, if they can't, are you are you honestly going to try to advance them to a more 
complex skill that is dependent on these patterns, are you going to advance them if you haven't got these, uh, you know, these movement criteria? And then if, if you if you haven't get them and then use the, the neural development sequence patterns to build from there. And I, I've already shown with me how successful it can be. And then with all the people we've done in the movement project, but I think we can we can get um, you know demonstrable and objective results with this because if everyone's in the, in the chronic phase of recovery, that that that's just going to act as their own control group because the industry and all of the stats say you can't have significant improvement. And if we get a a, a suite of brain injury uh, patients, run them through. The, uh, the the applicable aspects of the SFMA to to see whether they haven't got there. If they haven't got them, we take them there, take them through the neural development sequence, and then I I think you know this this we we can present it in a way that it it, it can't be ignored. I mean I've I've had a preliminary preliminary uh, chat with Gray about it, and and Gray's um, interested in it as well. And obviously, if he is, and if you are Eric, then it'll. Uh, it will properly fly. I would be honored. Now, Perry told you we had a doozy at the onset of this one. This, this one's going to be tough to top, you know, we, we, you know, there's one thing that we can teach people about, you know, we had, you know, next week we're talking about people, I think the week before we're talking about people getting jacked or making people faster. Like this is a whole nother level of things. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is, uh, this is, you know, performance stuff is fun. Right. It, it is like, it's, you know, you can change someone's life by getting them a better 40 and, and, you know, getting their better for the combine. But this is, this is truly uh life-changing stuff that you guys are doing. And, um, you know, I, I think this is the future of rehabilitation when it comes to strokes and brain injuries. Um, it's still in the infancy, right. And, and, and you guys are sort of leading the way, but, um, you know, I'm excited to, to watch your journey and learn from you guys because I have a little bit of knowledge on this stuff, but, um, yeah, I think you guys are you. You guys are doing an incredible job, and and um, I look forward to seeing the lives that you guys change through your work. So, I just want to say thank you for for sharing your story and and uh, doing what you guys do because it's an honor to to learn from you guys. Well, I, I'd like to say just thank you for for I, I see you guys as, as the leaders of of the of this whole system that enabled Steve to do what he did. Like even from when Steve was back in the forties if it wasn't for you guys like paving the way with this with this kind of approach you know none of this none of this would have been possible and i'm i'm just i just feel really privileged to to even kind of witness what 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 you guys have what you guys have all done anyway so yeah so thank you so much yeah and if, <laughs> i know i know it's time for me to shut up I've, the pennies just dropped on something i don't know why I, I didn't make the connection earlier this is you know particularly relevant to mike um, but Eric, do you know? I've told you that Chelsea has now um, started doing jujitsu. Yes, that's, that's awesome. That's <laughs> spectacular. That's unbelievable. Uh, oh, and the way it's bringing her on because of a, a re, you know, it's a, a real reason to move. Extreme tactile feedback and talk about being able to get out of your own way and it's non-cognitive movement control. It, it's it's been brilliant for us. We've got videos of it as as well, which I'm, I'm sure Mike might be interested in. But it, I, it, it's I would it's taken, love to see that because that's phenomenal. Yeah. I would love to see that. And you know, I've I've been looking for a, a jujitsu instructor close close by to me, but uh, you know, as of yet, um, no joy because it for instructing movement and for one of the most primal reasons to move which would register with um you know with, with your neurology but it, you couldn't you couldn't get in it and better all ground-based skills as well you know but any, anyway i'll wind me neck in now <laughs> but maybe we'll have another chat on that one mike and i'll send you over some of the the videos of chelsea's work yeah and, and and we'll 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 chat as well because i have some connections that would be able to help you as as well so we can we can definitely chat after the podcast at some point for sure and, and we are no doubt going to share some clips, uh, you know, along the way of some of the things that, that these guys are doing, because it is remarkable. And, and I highly encourage you to click on Steve's uh, Facebook story, which we're going to share the link to as well, and reach out to them uh, if you um, yourself or, or know someone who's in this situation that they may be able to help, because this is 
groundbreaking and, and, and miraculous to say the least. And so I, I can't top anything else that that's been said here. So I'm going to just thank these guys again for their time and, and their effort and their mission and everything they've done to, to inspire me and, and so many others. And I want to thank you all for listening. And this has been the principles of performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on our social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.